one of the worst words in the English language has to be death or dead or dying. Uh, the, word, the word death is poignant. Death is serious. Death is sobering. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to talk about death. We hate it when death actually happens. Death has caused a lot of people a lot of pain. Sometimes when I'm with the shirks, I will say, you know, this might be the last time that we're all together. Isn't that an awful thing to say on a family vacation? But anyway, I say it to be morbidly funny. All right, I have a twisted sense of humor. And I say it to get a response out of my, my family, <laughs> namely Susan. And, um, and this twisted sense of humor really carries underneath the current of solemn truth. Death is a reality that is always too close for comfort. But tonight I want to spin it a little bit and I want to take a look at death from a different angle. Because I think that you actually rejoice in death. I think you get excited about death. And let me prove it to you. Let's say that your house is overrun with mold. And everybody in your family is getting sick. And so you evacuate and you hire a company to come in and to take care of your mold problem. And after several days, the mold guy comes to you and says, that's it. I've taken care of it all. Your mold problem is gone. It's all dead. And uh, you're mold free. Now, aren't you happy that the mold died and that it's gone? If you knew that there were 300 rats living in your attic, I'm sure you'd enjoy knowing that the exterminator came and brought massive widespread death in your home. Is that not true? I know I would be rejoicing. I personally hate rats and rodents. They freak me out. On a more serious note, my mother-in-law, Fern Miller, has stage four lung cancer. We hope the day comes when we hear the news, all the cancer cells are completely dead. That would actually make us all quite happy. If, uh, if something like mold or rats or cancer dies, we love it. We love it. We're glad to hear about death then. The death of Jesus was awful, but his resurrection makes his death glorious. So when we examine the death of Jesus, we must always look through the glory of the resurrection so that death is now joy-inducing. We also love it when sin dies. The Christian rejoices when sin dies in them. Sin is the enemy. Sin ruins lives. Sin kills people. Sin is what keeps us from greater joy in God. Sin in, in us is stronger than us and will kill us, but sin can be killed in us before it kills us because Jesus defeated and put sin to death. So his spirit in Christians can actually overpower sin in them, putting it to death so they can more fully enjoy and serve God so the death of sin in our lives is really, 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 really good. When sin dies, we rejoice. We celebrate. So here is what I want you to get tonight. And it connects 
with the death of Jesus and to the death of sin in our lives. Here's the point. Jesus bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What Peter was trying to communicate to his readers in 1 Peter 2.24 was not so much that Jesus bore our sins, but what his bearing of their sins produced in their lives, namely dying to sin and living to righteousness. First, Jesus died and bore our sins. Jesus died and bore our sins. Peter wrote, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So let's unpack that. Jesus himself bore our sins. Jesus did it by himself. He didn't need someone else to take some of the responsibility. This is why the phrase, in Christ alone, is so precious for us. Well, what does it mean that he bore our sins? The sense of the Greek word bore in verse 24 is to take something upon yourself. Peter was telling Christians scattered across Asia Minor uh, that his and their sins, really you could say all Christians' sins, had been picked up and taken upon Jesus. The weight of all of their sins was now on Jesus. And Jesus bore those sins in his body on the tree. Please understand the extent of the love of Jesus and what he did for us on the tree. Take all of God's people throughout history, all of God's people, and add up every single one of their sins. Add them all up, every lustful thought, every shady business deal, every syllable of every lie, and every careless moment Every murder, every adultery, every angry outburst, past sins, present sins, future sins, all the guilt of original sin, add it all up, and Jesus took it all and bore it inside of his body. As Jesus hung on the cross, every sin of all of God's people was imputed to Jesus and completely absorbed by him. This perhaps will give you the imagery as he was completely crushed for us. All of our sin is soaked up and absorbed in the person of Jesus Christ. He bears it. And I want this to stick with you. Because where we have amassed all of our guilty sins, Jesus Christ on the cross takes it inside of his body. He bears it. It was ours, but there was a great exchange, and it was passed from us completely onto Jesus. Now, this is a wonderful truth. To be forgiven by a holy God because Jesus bore our sins, that's, that is a wonderful thing. But many people make a big mistake at this point. They think that Jesus bore their sins simply to rescue them from hell and to get them into heaven. And that's about the extent of it for them. That's about as far as they take it. They want heaven 
but they seem not to want all the other things that the death of Jesus produces in them. They pay little attention to what Jesus saves them to become. Bible scholar Dr. Thomas Schreiner noted this, quote, the purpose of Christ's death was not merely to provide forgiveness, but to empower his people to live for righteousness. It's not just about forgiveness, it's about living for righteousness as well. That's a crucial point. And this point hinges on a little Greek conjunction, hina, which means in order that. In verse 24, hina introduces the purpose or the goal of Christ's death for us. Peter said that, or in order that, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Please understand what that means. Jesus died and bore our sins so that we might die to sin. He died bore our sins so that we may die to sin. Every single one of us, let's just be honest, every single one of us in here struggles deeply with sin, indwelling sin. No one in here is not struggling deeply with some sin. That means sin is inside you and sin is inside me. Sin is not just the terrible evil that is outside of us, that is happening outside of us, that is being committed by people like ISIS. No, the terrible evil is inside you and inside of me. But Jesus took those sins and bore them in his body so that indwelling sin might die in us. A death we can truly rejoice in. The word for die in verse 24 is the Greek word apogenomai. It's a compound word of apo, meaning away from or far from, and genomai meaning to be born or to come into existence. And so this word literally means to die, to die. Though figuratively, it means to cease from something or to have nothing to do with. So make the connection here. Jesus did not die so that you could be assured of heaven while continuing to indulge your sinful nature without any possibility of facing eternal consequences. Christians who live to indulge their sinful natures are not Christians. Christians who live to advance their sinful pleasures are not Christians. Understand what Peter was saying. Jesus died so that every Christian might die to sin. Jesus not only took our past, present, and future sins onto himself, but he actively seeks in our lives to eradicate any remaining trace of sin inside of you and me. By doing so, he sanctifies us. He makes us more and more and more and more like Jesus as he does that. What Peter meant was that Christ's death on the cross for us separates us from a lifestyle of sin. We are no longer defined by sin. We are no longer joined to sin. Instead, we are united to Christ by faith. And though we still have remaining and indwelling sin, it's not really us. It doesn't define us anymore. And the spirit of Christ, which now defines us and lives in us, pursues any remaining twitch or any remaining spasm of sin and works to lay it to complete rest. Until we're dead, we are never finished cooperating with the Holy Spirit to put sin to death in our lives. 
We are dead to sin, Romans 6.11, but we continue to put sin to death, Romans 8.13. All Christians are dead to sin, but all Christians are continually dying to sin. Does that make sense? And the death of sin in us is a glorious thing. It's something to rejoice in. God helps us put sin to death, and we rejoice in, in the work of grace that he does in our lives. Every time you say no to a sin and you choose to take the righteous path and obey God, sin dies. You're putting it to death by choosing righteousness. And then after you do that, joy floods the heart. You know that it's not your obedience that earns God's favor for you. You know you have it. But when you live in righteousness, the joy of just following Jesus, our Savior. This is why it is so very concerning when professing Christians treat their indwelling sin with such apathy and indifference. By their lifestyle, many professing Christians all around us seem carefree about their indwelling sin. They don't seem to care. They pay no mind to it. That's not a good sign. Jesus died to Purge us of all remaining traces of joy-killing sin. And though that's a painful process in us, it's a glorious process. The death of sin in us is awesome. You see, Christians want sin to be put to death. They want the Holy Spirit to slaughter it and get rid of all of it in their lives. And they rejoice when he does. So, Does God then leave us empty? He kills. So are we abandoned? You know, is nothing going? Is like tumbleweed, like an old western town going through our heart? We're just empty? No. Jesus died and bore our sins so that we might live to righteousness. When God puts something to death in you, he also brings something to life in you. Jesus died so that you, uh, the old you, would die, but the new you would live, and the new you, get this, the new you is righteous. It is a righteous new you. Not only did Jesus Christ die for you and take your sins upon himself, not only did he impute the perfect righteousness of Christ to you, which means God now considers you 100% righteous in his sight, but Jesus also died. Please don't miss this. Jesus died so that you would live a righteous life. That you would be obedient from the heart. The word righteous in verse 24 means uprightness. It it means good behavior as God defines good behavior. Living to righteousness means that you live to do what is right in God's eyes. The death of Jesus brings to life in us a desire an insatiable desire to do what is right and pleasing to our God. Now, of course, when you think through this, you know we can't do this on our own. And that is why the glorious truth of the Holy Spirit in you to empower you to do what God has asked you to do. He did not leave you alone to work it out on your own. He gave you a precious gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit lives in us to kill sin, and he lives in us to compel us to live to righteousness. You need to hear this tonight. As you walk by faith in Christ alone, you have everything you need to obey God. You have what you need. And to walk by faith is to actually believe that Christ can kill sin in you and help you to do the right thing. And he can even make you happy about doing the right thing. You and I know it's not always easy. We're not happy to do the right thing. We have bad, crabby attitudes sometimes. That's why he's given you the Holy Spirit. Because he can actually change how you feel about doing the right thing. That you'll actually want to do it. Romans 6 is such a helpful passage and I challenge you to read Romans 6 before Sunday because when we get to Easter Sunday, all right, in my message, it's going to land more for you if you have read Romans 6. So please take time to read Romans 6 before Sunday. But listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 6, just a couple snapshots. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And what he means is when Christ saved you, he put the old you to death. That's awesome. But not only that, he made the new you free from sin. Dear Christian, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You do not have to serve it. You are free to live a righteous life, free in Christ. Verse 11 Paul says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. Dead. But you're not just dead, you're also alive to God in Christ Jesus. God made you spiritually alive so you could live for him in righteousness. Verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Jesus died so that you might die to sin and be set free from sin and become a slave, get this, a slave of righteousness, in bondage to righteousness. If, you know, if you're no longer a slave of sin and you're a slave of righteousness, that means that you serve and obey righteousness. That's Romans 6.18. Verse 22, Paul says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Jesus died to liberate you from sin but to also make you a slave of righteousness, a slave of God, so that you might become holy like Jesus, conformed to Jesus, and that you will certainly reach heaven. We are sinners saved to be molded in the image of Jesus Christ, to look like him. That's why God saves you, so that you would look and live like Jesus. That's glorious. Death is a terrible word. We don't like to think about it unless it pertains to the death of sin in us. Because if you think about it, sin fights actively every day to take you away from your greatest joy in God. It's fighting. It's coming after you. 
It wants to bring you down. It doesn't want you to have a smile on your face and to take joy in the gospel. When mold or rats or cancer die, we rejoice. It's a good day. And when Jesus kills sin in your life, it's a good day. It's a good day. But God doesn't just kill. He makes alive. He makes you alive. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. Jesus bore your sins so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Die to sin live to righteousness. This is the Christian life. So here's here's the parting charge. Live to righteousness. Father, thank you. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit, we can actually live to righteousness. That should not discourage any of us to know that we should obey you perfectly. Because though we will fail, your grace is there to pick us up. But even in our failure, we can keep our eyes on the cross and say, Jesus died for me to put sin to death, to kill it inside of me. And he died for me so that I could actually walk in righteousness, which I so want to do. So I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will produce a great joy in us this evening to die to sin, and to live to righteousness. For Jesus' sake, amen.